thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them to 1 Kings chapter 9. We're going to start in Romans chapter 8 if you want to get ahead. And eventually we'll be in Genesis as well. 1 Kings chapter 9 as we pick up in our verse-by-verse study of Kings. Solomon, after following his father into the role of being king, has completed the building of the temple and his own palace. And we learned last time that he held a dedication ceremony and in front of the people prayed out to the Lord asking for God's mercy and grace upon him and the nation. And, and just turn back to chapter 8, whether you took notes or not, I found it interesting that in Solomon's prayer that he anticipated human failure among the nation. And we list them out, if you'll remember, he anticipated the people's doubts in verse 31, uh, if they were ever defeated because of sin in verse 33, if they faced a drought because the heavens were shut up in verse 35, their destruction, the famine or pestilence in verse 37 he prayed for. He prayed in anticipation, um, verse 44, of their deployment if they had to go out to war. They also, he also prayed in verse 46 if they defected and backslid. He prayed in anticipation of the failure of the nation. Notice in verse 47 of chapter 8. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they carried away captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, you know, he, he anticipated repentance among the sinners. And if there's one thing that we all share in the room today, and that is that we are all prone to wander as the hymnal, as the hymn we so often sing. We're all prone to wander. We're all weak. Everyone among us has a heart that's deceitfully wicked. Who can know it but the Lord himself? It's important for us to remember in our lives, while we don't plan to fail, and none of us really want to fail, and we don't want to use this as an excuse to fail, just know this, you're going to fail. We're not planning to fail. I hope nobody listening to me right now is planning sin right now, although I do know that there are some listening in, whether they're here or on the radio or online right now, they are planning to sin. It happens a lot on Saturday nights. Saturday night's a big party night. And so what will happen is people will come to church and, and then they'll go party right after church. I remember in one service, there was such a great conviction on a sister's heart uh, because she had come to church for the worship service on a Saturday night. And I had said somehow in the, we're in the Bible study all this, you know, don't plan to sin, don't go party. And, and she had actually brought her party clothes to change in the bathroom after service, which she did. And she went out to party and then came back in the morning so broken over the reality of how she followed through with her plans instead of just repenting right before it ever happened. We're all going to fail. And and if you're on the other end of a failure, then understand this in Romans chapter 8. Listen to this. This is is what the word of the Lord says to you and to me. Because Solomon, even back when he was building the temple, was anticipating the failure among the people and asking for God's mercy and grace. And it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore, what does your Bible say? Now, now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Right now, 
as you hear my voice, there is no condemnation. God is not condemning you for your sin. There might be heavy conviction, but for those of you that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Your past sins have been forgiven. Your present sins are forgiven. Even your future sins are forgiven. The Bible teaches us that there's no condemnation. There can't be a stronger phrase in the scriptures to describe the lack of condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no possibility of condemnation. There is no condemnation, zero, zip, none coming from God. It might be from the accuser of the brethren, and it might come from other believers, and it might come from your own deceitful heart. But listen, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Hold on to that truth. God has done a finished work through Jesus Christ. Salvation is a whole package. It's not a partial package. It's whole thing. He saves you and me in the whole. Because God is not working in a past, present, future kind of environment. God is outside of time. He describes himself as the great I am. He's the one that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in his eternality, in his complexity, It's in the now for God, which translates to the now for us, that there is no condemnation. And I found that was good. It was worth repeating from chapter 8. Now notice chapter 9 of 1 Kings. Pick up with me in verse 1, because there's a theme here through this chapter. Those of you that read ahead may not have seen much in this chapter, but there's a theme that we want to walk through in verse 1. It came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all of Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. Aren't you grateful for the second times of the Lord? (laughs) Or the second chances of the Lord? Or the third? Or the fourth? But he comes in a very special way. He comes to him a second time, just like he did in Gibeon. He's ready to give him a fresh word. He's ready to give him a new word. And the Lord said in verse 3, I've heard your prayer and your supplication that you've made before me. And I've sanctified this house which you have built to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. He says, I heard your prayer. I heard your prayer about the future failures. I heard your prayer about what's going to go down. I heard your prayer covering what was on your heart, Solomon, if the nation turned against you and if they made all kinds of mistakes. I I heard your prayer. I heard your prayer. God's going to answer that prayer. I'm going to show mercy to the future generations because of your prayer. I'm going to show mercy to the nation of Israel because of your prayer. I heard your prayer. Why do we pray? One of the reasons we pray is because God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers. You're not praying to the ceiling. Some of you might, come, you might have come today, and as you were praying in your group, you just felt like, well, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? And it could be the condition of your heart right now. It could be the condition of your mind right now. You could be beating your, it could be a variety of reasons, but you're wondering, why am I doing this? There are a lot of reasons why you're doing this, but one we learn in the text today. We pray because God hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. And it's not just like a casual hearing where, yeah, he heard the words, but God's hearing always leads to God's action. God's hearing always, isn't that what he tells us? Isn't that what he says in James? He says, don't just be hearers only, but doers. What's the example for that? God himself. God is the example of what hearing and doing looks like. And here he is. I heard your prayers and your supplications. 
and I've done. I've sanctified this place. Verse 4. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked, mark these words. How did David walk? In integrity of heart and in uprightness. Mark that. We'll come back to it in a moment. If you walk like your dad, if you follow your dad's example, to do according to all I've commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I'll establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I've set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I've given them. And this house which I've sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will be exalted. Yet everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, Why has the Lord done thus to the land and to this house? Then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. We're grateful, aren't we, for the times that God appears to us the second time. Many times a second time in the Bible is referring to a second chance from the Lord after a big failure, but not so here. We're at the midpoint of Solomon's reign. Almost 20 years earlier, God had appeared to Solomon and told him to ask whatever he would like. And Solomon, recognizing the weight of responsibility, he asked not for great things for himself, but he asked great things for the people of God. He asked for that which would bring God the most honor. He asked for help in overseeing the nation, knowing that he wasn't his dad. He wasn't like his dad. His dad was a warrior. His dad was a man who battled. His man, unfortunately, his dad was a man with, with blood on his hands. His dad was a man that was shrewd and understood. You could say that his dad had street cred. He understood how it was like. He, uh, he hung out with David's mighty men, and he learned from David's mighty men some things about what goes on on the streets, what goes on in real life. He had to experience it. Solomon was a softy. He grew up like many of our kids in the sense that they grew, he grew up in, you could say, in a godly home, in a Christian home. Solomon's testimony was he grew up in a godly home. <laughs> And because of the leadership of his father and the leadership of his home, he avoided all the nonsense or much of the nonsense that his dad went through. And that's a lot of what your houses are like. It's what my house was like. I did not want my kids to experience what I experienced. I don't believe it was God's heart for God. God had a testimony that was different for my kids, and, and we raised our kids to be kids as unto the Lord. Now, they were normal kids, and they had their issues, and they had their sinful issues, as, but, but man, praise God that none of my kids were teenage parents. I mean, I praise God for that. Uh, I, I didn't want them to go through what we went through. I didn't want them to hear our testimony and say, well, you know, Dad, you were an idiot, so I can be an idiot too. No, you can't be an idiot, and I'm not an idiot anymore, I hope, you know? And I, didn't, I wanted to prevent that from them and praise God for his grace and his mercy. Solomon was different. He, he, was, he was that second generation that, that grew up in a home that watched the testimony of his dad. But his testimony of his dad was a good testimony. And he waited now, it was 20 years of time to build this house and build his temple, and then the Lord showed up again to encourage him and to warn him. And we need both. Now, 20 years is a long time to wait, don't you think? You guys can participate with me. Do you think 20 years is a long time to wait? 
If I made you guys wait 20 minutes right now, you wouldn't like me. 20 years is a long time to wait, but waiting on the Lord is always worth it. It's always too soon to stop waiting on the Lord. It's a disobedient thing for us to stop waiting on the Lord. When we fail to wait on the Lord at his command, then we, our strength is not renewed. We are unable to really run the race effectively. We begin to take on the weights and the sins of this world upon ourselves in disobedience to what we learn in Hebrews to lay aside the weights and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Although Solomon was busy in obedience, building and developing the worship center of the nation, the temple, there was no spiritual revelation mentioned from God for over 20 years. That's true for us as well, as God will give us what we need when we need it. He'll give us the revelation when we need it. He'll speak to us in a dream or a vision when we need it. He'll show up. You know how it is when you are with someone and they go through a great trial and your immediate response, you know, after compassion and love is, I don't know if I could ever go through what they're going through. And, and, and totally, I get it. I don't know if I could ever go through what they're going through. And I, I don't think I could ever handle it. But then on an unfortunate occasion, you come across some situation where you didn't think you could ever go through that. You didn't think you could ever make it. But what happens? The Lord shows up at just the right time and gives a needed grace. You didn't need it five years ago. You didn't need it five weeks ago. You didn't need it five days ago. But when the calamity comes, the Lord is instantly there and you and I get what we need when we need it. And if we fail to be patient and if we fail to wait on the Lord and we're impatient with God, then, then we'll very easily take things into our own hands and we have example of that over and over again, but you know, you know, you, when you take things into your own hands, you start creating little Ishmaels, little Ishmaels all over the place instead of waiting on the Lord. This was a miraculous appearing of God to Solomon a second time. But we can't live off the miraculous of God. We need to learn how to live off of the faithfulness of God. Write that down. You need to learn this. We don't live off the miraculous of God. We need to learn how to live off of the faithfulness of God. We may be eager for instant growth and instant solutions, but the Lord is always doing a work for the long haul. God is always working for maturity and eternity, not your personal instant gratification. He's working in us far more exceedingly weight of glory. It's so much more. He wants to develop us and to grow us. That He wants to teach us how to praise Him. Even when we wait in relative silence for 20 years, God will show up a second time. And this time with Solomon, God promises to establish His kingdom if he walked in obedience. That was the warning. Solomon, you must walk in obedience. And he uses this phrase in verse 4, and we can't just gloss over it. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked, in the integrity of his heart and in uprightness. That's how God saw David. Now, we read this story of David, and we've studied through 1 Samuel recently. We may not write that about David. We may get all critical and hyper-judgmental on brother and say, well, look what he did there, and look what he did there, and, and remember him for his sin. That's not how God remembers David. God doesn't remember David for his sin. God remembers him for the integrity of his heart and his uprightness. And isn't that the case in our lives? For those of us that have the Holy Spirit in us, there is far more integrity and uprightness of heart in our lives than stupid sins. Although there are some stupid sins. 
the uprightness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ where he's clothed us with his white garments is far more than those momentary lapses of sin in our lives. David, as we all realize, was a far from perfect person. As far as sinlessness is concerned, David was not a sinless person. He did sin. And and there was even a big sin in his life that everyone's reminded of, that I'm sure was always brought back to him, that when Ahithophel turned on him, he had to be reminded of it again. And, and every time he looked into Bathsheba's eyes, I could see the enemy wanting to accuse him and wanted to take him down. And there was a lot of things that he did in the story of his life that were recorded for us. But when, he's, when Solomon, when God is talking to Solomon about being the leader of the nation, he says, follow your dad. You need to follow your dad in the integrity of his heart and in his uprightness. Do as all I command you, he says. One thing you don't read of David ever doing was going after other gods. David was not an idolater. And that's a big deal to God. David was not an idolater. He remained true and faithful in his commitment to Yahweh, to Jehovah. There was never a hint in David of turning after other gods. He remained faithful and true and loyal to the one true God. Even though there was personal failure, there was an overall commitment, heart to heart, mind to mind to God. And we as believers in Jesus Christ now in the new covenant, dwell the Holy Spirit taking residence in us as the temple of the Holy Spirit. We too experience times of personal failure. But that... They happen under that overall commitment to the Lord. And you know, sometimes we as believers, we, we remember the sins more than we remember the faithfulness of God. We remember the failures. And, and, and in some cases, when believers get really nasty with each other, which I don't understand why we do that, we're, we're all messed up. We all need the grace of God. But you know, believers can get really nasty and really judgmental. It's, it's almost like, man, they'll never let you get over your sin. They're always going to hold it against you. Now, while people might do that, God does not do that through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we all experience personal failures. You know, the way that the internet is today, the way the blogosphere is, the way that social media is, you know, a a believer or even a pastor can make a mistake and then it's going to be blown up and blown out of proportion and blasted on Facebook and every forwarded to a billion people within 24 hours now. And, and, and instead of just praying for that brother and go, he just made a mistake. Can't people just make mistakes anymore? Can't we just stumble and fall at times? I mean, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not advocating uh, taking and, and understanding grace like, oh, it's some sin and you could just go do it. And, oh, Pastor Ed just gave us permission to go do whatever we want, you know, because we should just be kind to one another. And just, that, that's, you totally misunderstand why Jesus Christ died for you if you think like that. But let's be real. It doesn't have to be anything big. It doesn't have to be anything huge. Here you are worshiping the Lord. You, you were just anticipating Bible study. You, maybe you couldn't make it, but you turn on the internet right now. Uh, but, but on the way home on I-25, somebody cut you off and you flipped them off. And then you remember, oh, I put a sticker on my card. Oh, put my, I, was, I was saying number one. I love you, number one. You're number one. But you flip somebody off. Well, yeah, yeah, but, you know, I was mad. I was mad. I flipped them off. Would, I, I would say it's a pretty major failure. I don't think Jesus went around flipping people off. 
I mean, Peter cut ears off, but never says he flipped anyone off. And, and there you are. There's a major failure, but you know what you do. You just kind of, just kind of sweep it under the rug. Sorry, Lord. Sorry, Lord. I love you, Lord. And then you go, I'm going to cover it with my finger. I love you, Lord. And you're going to give to, and you know, you, you let yourself off the hook, but you're, you're not letting someone else off the hook. And, and there you are. You're committed to the Lord. It's not like you hate God. You were just mad. Somebody cut you off. I was just coming on Parker Road, coming up from Chick-fil-A, coming on Parker Road. I was making a turn, but it's crazy on Parker Road. The traffic's insane. So this guy comes up and boom, right in front of me. So I'm not giving you a, I did not flip them off. I'm telling you, all right, just so you know. But I'm like, come on, man. This is my space. This is my space. And then you went around and broke the law. This is my space. This is my space. My space. But even that little thought, Lord, nothing belongs to me. It's not my space. How careful we need to be in the body of Christ. We may have times when we stumble, where we fall into sin, but yet underneath our lives and the basic foundation is a commitment and a faith in the Lord. And when you say you love Jesus Christ, I believe you. I believe you. When you say you want to grow beyond, I believe you. I do. I believe you. If you were to come up for prayer after service and say, Ed, I fail miserably, but I love Jesus, I believe you. And I think what's best in you. And I want to encourage you in the Lord. I want to help you get over this and move forward in your life. I believe you. Love and grace is lived out among us in the family of God by our patience with one another by our help with one another, firm but lovingly. Among us tonight, there are literally hundreds and thousands of weaknesses and sins and besetting sins and weights and difficulties and flesh just in this room alone, let alone among believers around the world. We're to be loving and patient with one another. So often we expect more from each other than even Jesus does. We expect more from ourselves than even Jesus does. And we need to learn to walk in grace, trusting him for his empowerment to stay away from sin. But if we find ourselves have fallen, the Bible says though a man falls seven times, what? He will rise again. Why will he rise again? Because of the faithfulness of God. Because when God remembers you and when God remembers me, I hope he says, it's like David, my life would be like David, the integrity of my heart and the uprightness of my life. Not perfect. Not perfect. You could have been the person that cut me off today and in your rearview mirror you were just checking to see if I was mad and you saw my face. I was mad. <laughs> but in the whole scheme of things, I love Jesus and I, I love the person that cut me off I really wasn't in that much of a hurry to begin with. Listen, be careful, church, when you hear bad news about somebody. Be careful. Be careful when you read something on social media that got forwarded to you or got reposted or 
and you make up your mind on some dumb video or some sentence and you never pick up the phone to call the person and ask them for their side of the story. I can't tell you how many times I've been on the other end of that myself where somebody posted some dumb thing or some lie or some, I was just looking today, I was with somebody at lunch and I was gonna send them the address to our church so I pulled up my phone at the end there, I looked it up on, uh, on, on one of the maps and then I hit the click and then there's one of these sites where people can say nice things but usually they don't say nice things and I was just reading a couple of the not nice things that are just such not true about our church but they were there and anonymous, you know, write it all anonymous so that somebody could be a coward when they write something and they put it all up there and, and they get forwarded. And even if they do put their name on there, if you start posting negative stuff on Facebook, that's like passive aggressiveness. That's still cowardice. The Bible says that if your brother sinned against you, go to him, you, and him. What's the next word? Alone. I didn't know Facebook qualified for being alone. Does it? You help me, Bible students. Does it qualify for being alone? So therefore it is sin. I don't care how you cut it. And it's a lack of integrity and a lack of uprightness. And those that participate in it? (laughs) Nobody wants to finish it for me. You're like, go ahead, what do you mean? It's sin. Be careful when you hear bad news. Be careful not to think the worst of someone because of a weakness or a failure in their lives. Let me show you an example of this. Turn over to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. David, you know, we we look at David and immediately we're like, no, 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 he wasn't a man of integrity. No, he wasn't upright. Don't you remember? God says, you follow your dad, Solomon, because you're just as weak as your dad, but I'll tell you what I liked about your dad. I mean, can you imagine a conversation with God about your dad? I'll tell you what I like about your dad. I'll tell you what I like about your mom. She had a heart that was after me. That's what I, could you man, God came to you in a dream and said, let me tell you about your husband. He loves me. Let me tell you about your kids. They love me. And then you're immediately, no, you don't understand where we're going, no. You, hey, just, just let me tell you something. Your kids love me and I love them. And what a great thing this must have been for Solomon because he grew up with his dad, so he knew everything about him. He heard all the fights or all the things that went, all the multiple wives. He knew it all. And yet God says, no, man, you you follow your dad. Follow him this way, the integrity of his heart. Don't do what he did. Don't don't make the same. Follow him, integrity of his heart, uprightness of his life. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. Be careful when you hear bad news. Be careful when you hear gossip. Be careful when, I mean, in, in this case, this is true with Noah. Pick up with me in verse 18. This is a true bad situation. I, I think after you read it, if you're not familiar with it, you'd agree this is bad. This is bad. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the, the whole earth was populated. Verse 20, and Noah began to be a farmer and he planted a vineyard, verse 21, and he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Let me just say this before I get to the bulk of of this section. Nothing good comes from getting drunk. Just write it down. Nothing good comes from getting high, eating brownies, nothing good. Nothing good comes from the bar scene. Nothing good. 
And definitely we know if you're not familiar with this passage of scripture, you just know whatever's coming next is not going to be good. Planted a vineyard, became drunk, and it says he became uncovered in his tent. If you like to write in your Bibles, you can write next to uncovered in his tent, naked. Verse 22, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both on their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Be careful when you hear bad news. Be careful not to think of the worst of someone. Noah becomes drunk and naked in his tent. The man that we know of in the scriptures that found grace, who lived obediently, who walked with God, the man who the Bible says was righteous, blameless, and a preacher of righteousness, stumbles and falls. Why? Because he was frail and we all falter. This is the first mention of wine in the scriptures. And notice it's in connection with a man and it's associated with drunkenness. There's a close relationship, church, between intoxication and iniquity. And there's a close relationship between drunkenness and debauchery. He becomes naked. From the Hebrew word here, there's an implication of this uncovering, this nakedness, and that is that it was twisted and perverse in some way. That he was somehow flaunting his nakedness or doing something weird in his tent that was drawing attention to the fact that he was drunk and out of control. Now, when a person begins to lose his or her normal faculties through alcohol and drugs, all inhibitions and restraint go out the door. And that's what we see here. What does drinking do exactly? Well, drinking is, is classified in our culture and, and in, with professionals. It's classified as a drug. And the classification within drugs, it's, within, it's in the category of depressants. Alcohol is a depressant. Not, not just in making a person depressed, but also in depressing or suppressing the understanding of right and wrong. It makes a person dumb, as I know for many, many, many years in my life. I know that firsthand. I don't need to read it in a book. My wife knows that firsthand. My parents know that firsthand. All of the police officers in the small community I grew up with, they know it. The people I went to high school, I could go on and on with people. They don't, we don't need to read it in a book. It's true. Any officer that serves here in Aurora or Denver, they can tell you most of the problems they have after, are after dark and drunk or high people. It's just the way it is. It depresses or suppresses the moral inhibitions that God has given to us, even within our conscience, let alone depressing and quenching and taking away the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, believer. It, it takes away, it, it grieves the Holy Spirit when you are drunk with wine and not filled with the Holy Spirit. And Noah here is, well, you know, I'm going to be a farmer and I'm going to drink of my wine and I didn't know how much I could take and he drank and become naked and drunk doing vile and nasty things. And as Noah lays passed out, Ham comes in. It says in verse 22, Ham the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two other brothers. The idea of that word saw literally means gazed or to look intently and that has an, also a connotation of perversity 
in his life looking at his dad. I believe Ham was happy his father was out of it. It appears that Ham has a rebellious nature about him that was inflamed by the moral lapse of his father and he quickly went outside to tell his brothers. The sin of Ham is that he saw, rebelled, and told everybody. And as he goes out, it says, he tells his brothers in verse 23, Shem and Ham, they took a garment and they laid it both on their shoulders and went in backward covering the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. They weren't interested in exploiting their dad. And they didn't want to see that. They didn't want anything to do with it. They respected their father even in the midst of his failure. And Shem and Japheth wanted to cover it up and help their helpless dad. That was a good thing. And I just have to say this before we finish the rest of the chapter. Because we're focusing on David here, the, the integrity of his heart and the uprightness of his, uh, uh, of the integrity of his life, his uprightness of his heart, uh, that, that he's not remembered for his sin. Just like I don't think, um, I don't think Rahab is going to be Rahab the harlot in heaven. Don't be asking for Rahab the harlot in heaven. If you want to, when you make it to heaven and you're looking to meet people and you're thinking, well, maybe Rahab's line is not as long as David's or not as long. When you cry out, where's Rahab the harlot? I think some angel's going to come and smack you in the back of the head. Shh, there's no harlots in heaven. If you're looking for Rahab the sister, if you're looking for Rahab the redeemed, if you're looking for Rahab the, re- the forgiven, I'll tell you where she's at. But there's no Rahab the harlot in heaven. Why? Because she was saved and changed. And just like we experience in the new covenant, she's a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So here's Noah drunk, and his son Ham exposes. He sees. He tells. He, he makes sure everybody knows of the failure. And I have to say this, and I say this to us, and I say this to anyone listening in. You might be listening in on Texas or in Hawaii right now. You might be listening in in New Jersey or Baltimore, wherever you might be listening in. There are many hams in the church today. And may the Lord convict you if you are one of them. Now you go, Ed, what do you mean, hams? Well, there are many men and women that like to gaze upon the sins of others and make sure that everybody knows about them. Instead of keeping it to themselves and helping, they go out and begin to gossip. And they take some cruel pleasure in their hearts when a brother or a sister falls. It's pride. It's pride. To see someone fall kind of makes you feel a little bit better about yourself and, and you even get to the place where some people fall in sin and you're like, I knew it was going to happen. Really? You're God? You knew it was going to happen? If you knew it was going to happen, why didn't you warn the brother? If you knew it was going to happen, why didn't you call him up? If you knew it was going to happen, why weren't you praying for them every single day and say, man, when you find that they're falling, you're on your knees going, I've been praying for them, Lord. Please don't let them be utterly destroyed. Please don't let them completely lose everything. Please, Lord, instead of, I knew it, I knew it. What do you think? I, what do you think? What do you think? Who cares what you think? What does God think? Who really cares what you and I think? It's what God thinks. Don't be a ham in a very literal sense, but rather choose to be like Japheth and Shem. Doesn't even want to see it. Doesn't even want that image in their minds. Doesn't even want all the details. Doesn't want to know. Just wants to love. Let's cover our dad up, man. He's messed up. No doubt about it. Dad's got some explaining to do. When he sobers up, we're going to have to have a talk with him. 
when he sobers up, it's just, this is not good. This is, this is something that's, that needs some attention. But let's cover him up, bro. Let's make sure he's protected and cared for. 1 Kings 9, that's what God's doing with David right here. Once again, God becomes the model for us. That's exactly what he's doing with David. Solomon, I heard your prayer. Bless the temple and your palace. I want you to follow your dad. I want you to follow your dad in the integrity of his heart and the uprightness of his life. Well, the rest of the chapter really is, there are some gifts exchanged in verses 10 through 14. In chapter 15 through, uh, ver- uh, cha- verses 15 through 28 are some of the achievements and some of the other things that Solomon builds. Of special note, uh, let me get there with you, of special note, if you're going to Israel with us, um, there is a great little comment here where he talks about the, um, the building of Solomon where he says, uh, let me find it for you, all the storage cities. Well, go ahead and go to verse... Um, why don't we just read from verse 10. Now it happened at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, that Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired. King Solomon then gave Hiram uh, 20 cities in the land of Galilee, but Hiram went from Tyre to see the cities, but they did not please him. So he said, what kind of cities are these that you've given me? And he called them land of Cabal. Good for nothing is another word for that, as they are this day. And Hiram sent king 120 talents of gold. And this section is a little inside of the business side of things. Solomon is a king. Not everything's hyper-spiritual here. Solomon's a king running a kingdom. Uh, he has to have right relationships with Hiram uh, and the nations around him. You know, we think that everything has to be so hyper-spiritual all the time and everything has to be couched in spirit, but there, there's, a pragmatic, there's a pragmatic common sense. We like to call it sanctified common sense in life. Uh, there's just some things you don't need to pray about. There's just some things you don't need to pray about. Lord, I'm so hungry right now, and i got 20 bucks in my pocket, but I still want to steal this candy bar. What do you think, Lord? Should I steal this candy bar? You don't need to pray about that. It's pretty common sense. Buy the candy bar. And while you buy one, buy a second one for the guy that you know is going to be asking for money on 225 and Parker. Like, that's what the Lord's going to tell you. He's going to know, buy the whole box and give it to the kids on Colfax and Jesus. I mean, that's what's God going to tell you. But if you pray about, well, should I steal? What is that? I'll tell you right now the answer from heaven. No. God is faithful. And then verse 15, it says, and this is the reason for the labor force, which King Solomon raised to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo. And, the, and here's where I wanted you to see in verse 15. The wall of Jerusalem, Hazar, and Megiddo. So you go to Israel with us, we're going to visit this area of Megiddo. Our guide is going to point out to you exactly where the horse stalls were that Solomon built. It's pretty cool. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire. The Canaanites who dwell in the city, Solomon built Gezer, lower Beth Horan, Belah, Tadmor in the wilderness, the land of Judah. All the storage cities that Solomon had, cities for his chariots and cities for his cavalry. Cavalry. So Megiddo is one of those cities, and we're going to visit it. It's still there to this day. It's, on, it's still um, being excavated. There's still much to be excavated there, but we'll take you there. And then from that vantage point, we'll have a little Bible study up on the hill, and you can look out on the valley of Megiddo, known as the Valley of Armageddon. 
And this is right here. You're reading it. You're studying it right now. First Kings chapter 9. All the stories. So verse 20. All the people who were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Termites, who were not of the children of Israel. That was a little added one, guys. That is their descendants who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely. From these Solomon raised forced labor as it is to this day. But the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced laborers because they were men of war and his servants, his officers, his captains, his commanders of his chariots and his cavalry. Others were chiefs of the officials who were over Solomon's work, 550 who ruled over the people who did the work. Verse 24, but Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Milo. These three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that she had built, Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles. And he burned incense with them on the altar and before the Lord, he finished the temple. So King Solomon built a fleet of ships. And King Hi- then Hiram, verse 27, sent servants, seamen who knew the sea, to work with them. And they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. So a little bit of the insight of how Solomon's building up his kingdom and being the king and leading uh, his kingdom. Next, our next study is going to be powerful as the Queen of Sheba comes after what she heard. It's a beautiful study that will be very relevant to us as a church and our church family. But for us today, I just really believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you just like David where all you can remember and it seems all your mind can contain and it seems like some of the people around you that's all they want to mention and it seems like the enemy is accusing you day and night just like he does before the presence of the father that you're only remembered by your failures and you just need to have a release of that that's why god brought you today to to release you to, to give you a release from the holy spirit And so I'm going to ask Nathan to come back up, uh, wherever you are, Nathan. Appreciate you filling in for Ian tonight. And while Nathan plays this last song uh, and leads us in worship, I'm going to ask anybody that just needs to, to, to receive a touch of the Holy Spirit on this one particular area, this one particular area, this one area where it just seems like just what's happening with David seems to be happening with you. I'm going to ask you just to come up here while we're singing, and then the pastors are going to come around, and we're going to lay hands on you, and we're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit would comfort you. So let's all stand together as we sing this last song. So Holy Spirit is just wanting to touch you and minister to you. He's wanting you to come clean. Just, just maybe you're the one that's the accuser of the brethren, and you're accusing yourself, and it's just something that, that God is, is really wanting to give you a release from. Um, Right now, just right where you're at, just we'll go ahead and kill the lights, guys, and just come. We'll just walk right up here, uh, and let's just stand here, uh, and, and just come. And by standing here, it's kind of like a, an altar unto the Lord, and then we're going to pray for you. So, so before, if, before the prayer team comes up, I want people to come up first. So let's just let the guys come up, and whoever just needs a release, I want you to know right now that you're not your failure. You're not your failure. Just come on right up here. Come on, spread out right up here, guys. Right up here. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. 
Be blessed this week in the Lord.